I had to pick one thing that has the most impact on health or illness, um, I would say food. And, you know, of course, there are lots of different opinions on, on which kind of diet is best for you. And I think, again, like everything, that's very individualized. In general, though, we're going to recommend um, a diet that is full of whole food. Welcome back to the Tea Please podcast. It's another episode, another week. I am really excited about this episode when I had the idea for this podcast and thinking of topics that I wanted to include. Hormones was definitely one of them, so I'm just really excited that this episode is finally here. And the clip that you just heard was from Deanna Woodruff. She is nurse practitioner and owner of Vibrant Health in Colorado. It is a functional medicine wellness clinic that focuses on hormones and hormone replacement therapy. So I asked her a ton of questions and there's so much information packed in this episode. I'm just really excited for you to hear it. We talk about different kinds of hormone replacement therapy. We talk about the symptoms that are associated with different types of hormones being imbalanced. We talk about things that we can do in our daily lives and lifestyle changes to help keep our balances in check. And there's just so much information, you guys. So just get ready to listen. Before we jump into it with Deanna, you know I have to plug something that I really love and has quite honestly changed my life in the kitchen. It's this cookbook that we got probably over a year ago. It's called Plant Power Bowls, and it's just a ton of recipes for power bowls of different kinds, but they're really unique recipes, and they are the most balanced meals that you will ever make. Like I, after I eat one of them, I always feel so good, and like I got so many nutrients, and all the bases are covered. So to give you just an idea, one of my favorite recipes has sweet potatoes, avocado oil, black beans, quinoa, chard, cilantro, red onion, avocado, and then a creamy cashew dressing. And it has the recipe for the dressings and it has just everything you need to know to make a really well-balanced meal. And they have them divided up by season. So in the winter, they have more recipes with warming spices. They have a curried cauliflower recipe that's really, really good in the winter. It's so warming. And then in the summer, they have ones that have maybe some summer fruits in it. There's a blueberry watermelon bowl in there that has chickpeas. If you listen to the very first episode where we talked to Allie about Ayurveda and we talk about the opposites and how to find balance in your day-to-day, this book can definitely help with that because it has a lot of recipes, like I said, with the warming spices. Or if you need something a little bit cooler, then you can look at those summer recipes. So it goes hand in hand with that concept. It also goes hand in hand with our conversation for this episode of hormones. Diet is one of the things that she calls out as being really, really important when you're looking to balance your hormones and keep everything in check and a balanced meal is definitely a way to do that. So I would just really recommend this book. I have so many bookmarks in this book because we keep going back to a lot of our favorite recipes. So if you're interested, I'll have this linked in the show notes. It'll also have it linked on my website if you ever want to check that out. Also, make sure to click subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's on Apple or Spotify, to make sure that you never miss an episode. New episodes will be released every single Monday. And also just come find me on Instagram at the Tea Please Podcast. And yeah, we'll keep the conversation going over there. Okay, let's get into the episode. One of the first questions that I had for you was the difference between functional medicine and integrative medicine or traditional medicine. I don't know if functional and integrative are the same. And how is that different from like a primary care doctor? And yeah, what what would that look like? 
Sure. So um, it's a little bit of a gray area. Functional medicine and integrative medicine are very similar. They both are certainly going to look at the whole picture, all the body systems, not just kind of focused on one specific symptom, but really trying to find root cause. Functional medicine generally has been um, more looking at just holistic medicine, looking at um, lifestyle, certainly um, kind of the emotional piece, the spiritual piece, um, along with the physical piece. Functional medicine does that as well. Um, and then looks, you know, I would say a little bit deeper into the science of each body system. You know, for example, what nutrients does a specific um, body cycle need to to work correctly, um, you know, to give us optimal health. Functional medicine often looks at genetics, definitely looks at environment, but but both integrative and functional medicine are looking at the whole person. And really, you know, our goal always um, in these fields is vibrant health, right? To get someone um, as healthy as they can be. And if they're having symptoms to find out why, as opposed to just treating the symptoms. And is that typically what like our regular primary care doctors do? Would they say that they treat the symptoms? I think first it depends, of course, you know, every provider in every different discipline is is going to treat a patient differently. You know, the difference that I found and the reason that I became interested in functional medicine is often in traditional medicine, it is symptom-based or it is, it's just lab-based. You know, for example, thyroid is something that um, is often undertreated in traditional medicine. Patients can come in and have really significant symptoms that are affecting their lives, you know, causing them to not be able to do the things they need or want to do. And maybe their labs are just maybe borderline. Um, When you're looking at their thyroid, often in traditional medicine, they really get dismissed and told your labs are fine. Whereas in functional medicine, we're looking first of all, at the patient, right? What are their symptoms and and what could be happening? But also looking at the labs, we're looking to optimize labs, not just decide that they're in the normal range. We really kind of look at the whole picture. What's the biggest difference in like what that treatment would look like? I know that you mentioned in functional medicine, it would be looking at the whole person and finding the root cause. What would that look like in the context of hormones? So I think hormones, and certainly this is, you know, the subject I'm probably most passionate about, but um, hormones in traditional medicine, often women are completely dismissed if they're not menopausal. So if you're in your 30s or 40s, you know, I hear from women all the time that they're having severe symptoms and they've gone to their doctor and they've just been told that it, it's not hormones because they're not menopausal, but we can have hormone imbalance long, long before menopause. So, so I think that's a big difference. Are there some changes that, so here's the theory, me and my friends were talking about this because we talk about like what we're experiencing. None of us have had kids yet. And I'm 28. We're all around the same age range. And one of my friends had said, well, there's not a lot of data out there for hormonal changes in your 20s because that's typically when women are having babies. And so their hormones are all over the place because they're obviously having babies and getting pregnant and then going through postpartum and all of that, like really distinct hormonal change. But for women like ourselves who have not had kids yet, is there like another hormonal change that's significant in life other than menopause? So I don't know that there's a specific 
part, you know, hormonal transition for women in their 20s necessarily. But this is, again, where functional medicine comes in. Um, everyone's different and everyone has different experience, different um, environment. And, you know, one thing traditional medicine tends to not look at is how many things affect your hormones. So for example, what you're eating has an impact on your hormones. Um, your gut health can have an impact on hormones. Definitely stress. Stress um, has a, a huge impact on how your body utilizes hormones. So a lot of women in their 20s are under extreme stress, um, whether it's, you know, work or personal life um, or going to school or raising kids. Um, but stress has a huge impact on that. Um, so and everyone's so different. You know, you have women in their 20s that are having really regular cycles. You have women in their 20s who aren't. So there are just so many things you have to look at. You can have hormonal symptoms because your thyroid, you know, isn't quite right or isn't optimal. Um, I've seen symptoms because certain nutrients aren't high enough. So there are just a lot of pieces to look at. That does make a lot of sense. I am experiencing exactly what you said. I went to the doctor like two weeks ago, got my all my blood work done, and they just told me that all my hormones are fine and that that's not it. I read on um, the Vibrant Health website about the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and hormone pellet therapy. I've never heard of those. What are they? <laughs> Bioidentical hormones, this is an area where there is so much confusion and misinformation. So bioidentical just means that the hormone is exactly the same when you're looking at molecular structure. The hormone is exactly the same as what your body makes naturally. That's all that bioidentical means. Um, so if a hormone comes from an animal source, which you know it used to and, and still sometimes does, that hormone would be bioidentical to an animal, but not bioidentical to us. So bioidentical just means exactly the same as what we make naturally. Some people get that really confused with what's called compounded hormones. So compounding is a type of um, basically a specialty, a compounding pharmacist creates the prescription, whether they're putting it into a cream or a liquid. Um, you can compound anything, not just hormones. And those compounds generally are not FDA approved just because of the way they're made. You know, they're, they're not being made hundreds or thousands at a time, they're just being made, you know, a batch at a time. And so they're not FDA approved, even though the medication itself may be. We do have bioidenticals that are FDA approved. We have, you know, big pharmaceutical companies that have made bioidentical hormones that you can take. So that, but that's all that bioidentical means is that it's the same as what you make naturally. When would you need to look into that type of treatment? Like what would you be looking for versus uh, lifestyle changes or some of those other factors that impact hormone balance? But that sounds like one step further for sure. Yeah. So a lot of it is symptoms. And then after that, it's going to be testing. So in my experience, doing blood testing on young women that are still having regular cycles is just not very effective. Hormone levels tend to look normal if someone is still cycling and, and there's a large, you know, really big range of what is considered normal. So I could check your blood and everything looks fine. But if you're having symptoms, we know that there's something else going on. So for younger women, I tend to use salivary testing. Um, it's still not perfect. There is no perfect testing for hormones. They fluctuate. You know, if we test 
tested them every day, they would be a little different every day. But if you look at the symptoms, the history, the lifestyle, and you also have maybe a salivary test with that, it just gives you a much clearer picture of what might be going on. In really young women, you know, certainly our goal is to find out why hormones are imbalanced. And again, a lot of times that's lifestyle, it's stress, it's diet, it's inflammation or something else going on. So we'll try to find that. Certainly there are women, you know, young women that don't really make enough progesterone. And so, you know, supplementing with a natural or bioidentical progesterone is not uncommon in women that are still in childbearing years. Is there a specific time that you would recommend going to get your hormones checked? Is there like a better time of the month? So usually when we're doing testing, if cycles are normal, we usually will test around day 19, 20, or 21. Um, those are the most common. Um, it also depends a little on the length of the cycle. So if we're doing salivary testing, it's usually day 19 or 20. Um, again, with I don't do a lot of hormone testing in blood or serum um, in women that are still cycling. I do a lot of other blood tests, but not necessarily hormones. Mm -hmm. So what is the hormone replacement therapy? Like if you were going that route with one of your patients, what would that consist of? What do they have to do? Usually with a first visit, they come in and we just get a history, talk about their symptoms. We always do a full blood panel looking at things like thyroid, um, certain nutrients like B12, vitamin D. Um, we might look at blood sugar, insulin. Um, it kind of depends on what's going on for the person. And then we might, you know, if they're not having periods, certainly we will do blood tests for hormones. Hormones. If they are still having regular cycles, then I'll talk about salivary testing. Um, once all of those results are in, then we just sit down and talk about, you know, where everything is, what could be improved or optimized, um, and where I think they might get some relief from. And how long does it typically take for someone to see a difference? So it really depends on what's going on with them. I mean, a lot of times it's really quick. If someone has a progesterone deficiency, um, which is common for women, especially as they get closer to 40 and beyond 40, they may notice, you know, the first two weeks that they're using it, that, that they feel different and, you know, more balanced, more like themselves. Are there common symptoms with progesterone deficiency that we can look out for? Or what would that look like? If, if you can find it without looking at some type of test? Yeah, in general, um, if you're having issues with progesterone, low progesterone, I mean, it can be a lot of symptoms, but most commonly you might see a new onset anxiety, less ability to handle stress, more irritability, sleep issues, um, just kind of those PMS symptoms often, sometimes even depression. You know, I certainly see some mood changes in women that are having issues with their hormones. When did you get into all of this? Is this something that you were always interested in or what's your experience? So I was really lucky. I was a labor and delivery nurse for several years. Um, when I became a nurse practitioner, my first job was with an OBGYN that was already doing bioidentical hormones. That was almost 17 years ago. So at that time, it was a pretty big deal. Most people didn't even know what they were. Um, so it's been a part of my career, you know, the whole time. For me, I think my passion for functional medicine came from just my own experience. Um, I was one of those young women that just had a lot of symptoms, um, you know, things like fatigue, body pain, irritability, um, that just didn't make a lot of sense. And I saw lots of traditional doctors and did lots of testing. And of course, was told everything's normal. And so as I started just learning about functional medicine, and that there were doctors that were looking deeper 
you know, looking for causes. I just was really excited by that. And so that's really what I've done since then. Sometimes like having that personal experience can really like spur on the passion for something. And I think it's great. I think this like hormone health and conversations definitely seem to be trending. I think a lot of people are talking more about them and asking more questions about how to manage them. It's tricky to find someone that will dig a little bit deeper and find that. So it is, it has become a lot harder to find. The good news is that it you're right, it's becoming more popular. I think um, women are demanding it, which is great. I think that the trouble that a lot of people run into is there are many good providers that do functional medicine or integrative medicine that work with hormones and thyroid and gut health, but it is very, very hard to find one that takes insurance. That I think is kind of the hardest, the hardest part is a lot of them are concierge doctors now. And so um, you know, someone has to be willing to to pay out of pocket to see them. And just your personal opinion, I guess, unless you have a professional one, because I know nothing about insurance, but like, why is that? Is it just because it's like a new thing? So it seems more higher end or some of the therapies are more costly and it's just, do you think it will catch on? I do think it will eventually catch on. I really do. I actually don't. The therapies actually aren't more costly. I mean, prescription medications are incredibly expensive. Yeah. You'll hear people say that compounded meds or bioidentical hormones are really expensive, but they, they're actually pretty moderately priced. Um, I think the reason you see so many doctors and providers that don't take insurance, it's not really the cost. It's that it takes a lot of time. You know, when you're really looking for root cause causes and you really want to dig into someone's history, um, work with them on nutrition and, and food issues, things like that, it takes a lot of time. And insurance, unfortunately, is just not made for visits like that. Um, you just, you don't have that kind of time generally in an insurance practice um, to dig into all of those things. So, but when you're actually talking about the therapies, whether it's, you know, vitamins or thyroid or hormones, they're really not that expensive. And, and my opinion is that we do so much preventative work that insurance would actually do really well by itself to include these types of um, programs just because we we help people get better we help people come off of medication often I would say in the long run, we would probably save them money. Well, I'm hopeful that it will catch on with the way things are going. And I know people are talking more about insurance mm -hmm. and how expensive it is in, in America and the United States and everything. So hopefully that changes. I know it takes a long time to get there, but I mean, this makes so much sense to me as far as the approach to it. So I asked you a little bit about the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. How is that different from the hormone pellet therapy? And what is that? Hormone pellet therapy is just another route. Um, to take with hormone replacement. Um, it's just another way to take them. So you can take hormones orally. Uh, they can be topical like creams or gels or patches. Uh, pellets are just another option. A pellet looks like a little grain of rice and it's actually inserted. It's a procedure, um, simple, quick procedure, but it's inserted into the fatty tissue around the hip. And what happens is then your body creates a blood flow around that pellet and then they last somewhere between three and four months, depending on how quickly you metabolize them. But then you're getting these this little source of either testosterone or estrogen and testosterone all the time. And so it's just, it, it's still bioidentical um, and compounded. It, it's just a different route. So the bioidentical hormone could be in pellet form or like injected? 
It can be in pellet form. Um, it can be in a sublingual that dissolves under your tongue. It can be in a cream. There are also patches that are bioidentical. So lots of options. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that you could do that in so many different ways, especially like a topical cream or patch like that. That's crazy that it would last a couple months even. And can you change that based on whatever hormone you need to replace? Like if it's progesterone, if it's something else? So the pellets last between three and four months. If you're doing creams or a dissolvable tablet, that's something you're just going to do every day. But absolutely, that's what's nice about compounding is we can change those prescriptions any way we want. If I have someone that needs just progesterone, we can do that. If they need estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, we can combine that. And if we need to change doses, a little less of one, a little more of the other, hormones really are they're a puzzle. You know, it's very rarely as simple as, oh, this is what you need. This is what you get. Everything's fixed. Um, it's ongoing. We, Our bodies change, our, our lives change, our environments change. Um, and so it's certainly ongoing to figure out what's working best in the, at the moment. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not just a an easy fix or an easy find that kind of makes some of the other things we touched on the way that they are as far as like insurance and finding someone to take the time to do all of that and find the missing piece and see what's going on. Because I'm sure in some cases it can be more than one thing that's maybe off that you're trying to treat in that way. We talked about progesterone. What other hormones do you see most often that are in balance? Are there a few that you typically see? When you're talking about the sex hormones for women, you're talking about generally progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen. There are others, but those are those are kind of the main hormones. Um, for men, when you're talking about replacement, you're mostly talking about testosterone. Um, but I, I certainly see all of that. Um, women women do really well on testosterone, and this is another area where just we tend to be really behind in medicine. You know, there are still providers that that don't understand why women would use testosterone or they think that women don't have testosterone. And that's absolutely not true. Um, we do have it. We need it. It's a really important hormone for us. We just don't have as much as, as men have. And when one of those is imbalanced, are the symptoms similar or are there symptoms that are like really characteristic of one hormone being out of balance? Sure. They, there's definitely some overlap, but they're also pretty specific. So progesterone, we talked about in general, you will see issues falling asleep or issues with anxiety or irritability. Um, when testosterone's really low, you see a lot of fatigue. You can see a lack of stamina. You can you can see that someone is losing muscle tone. Maybe they're working out regularly, but they're, they're not able to do what they could before. They're not as strong. Um, they're just not seeing the results. Um, you can also see some anxiety, um, lack of stress tolerance, low libido. Um, estrogen, when, when women are low in estrogen, which most of the time you're going to be talking about women that are menopausal or close to menopause when they're low in estrogen, that's when you're going to see a lot of waking up at night in the middle of the night, hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, a lot of brain fog. When estrogen's low, it's, it's hard to focus and concentrate and remember. So again, there's a lot of overlap and a lot of these symptoms can be caused by things other than hormones mm. too. And that's why you have to look everywhere, but, but those are the basics. Yeah. That's always fun when the symptoms are like characteristic of any, anything <laughs> that could happen that makes it so hard. Cause I know like some, some mental health stuff is the same where a lot of like fatigue and stress, anxiety and all that stuff. Okay. So I have a question about menopause. I am not near there, but I'm just curious. 
the message that I've gotten just in my upbringing and society and, you know, no one really telling me anything about menopause at this point in my life. Some of the symptoms that you said are some of the symptoms that you would go through at that time. If someone is experiencing those, like the message that I got is that if you're experiencing those things, that's like a very normal thing. And it's just this like rite of passage that you have to go through. Is that true? Or would you recommend that if you're feeling those that you seek help? Like, do you have to feel those? So this is one of the areas where I get the most frustrated. So yes, absolutely. Menopause is a natural transition of life. You know, all aging is natural, right? And in that sense, death is natural. All of these things are a normal, natural part of life. When we aren't able to uh, reproduce anymore, we don't, you know, if you look at kind of what we're meant to do, our hormones start to go away. And, and you can look at that as natural. But the issue today is that so many of us are going to live half of our lives after menopause. You know, average age of menopause is 52, but certainly we see menopause in the mid to late 40s. You know, everyone's a little different. Um, and most of us after 40 or 45 or 50 are still really active. We're working, we're working out, we're maybe raising kids, we're maybe taking care of parents. And so when you lose your hormones, some women, not all, but a lot of women just aren't vibrant anymore. They are exhausted. They can't think, they can't sleep. They're not interested in sex. They are overwhelmed. They're anxious their skin changes, their hair changes, you know, there's just all these changes. Um, we also know that hormones are really protective. Hormones have a protective effect on your brain, on your cognition, on your cardiovascular system, which is a huge area of risk for women. They protect your bones. And so it's more than just symptoms. For a lot of years, there have been women that have this feeling that they're supposed to just get through menopause, um, that hormones are only for the, the very worst situations or if they just can't take it anymore. And that is absolutely not how we see hormones. Um, hormones help you to stay healthy um, and to stay happy and, and kind of engaged. Um, and, and so that, yeah, I definitely disagree that it's something just to get through. And there are women, a lot of people think that menopause is something you get through. It's not really true. Menopause is the rest of your life. Menopause is when your ovaries stop functioning. And that is the rest of your life. Some women will stop having symptoms at some point. They're temporary for some, but there are women that don't stop having symptoms. I have patients in their 90s that are still having hot flashes if they're not on hormones. So it's just really individual and it's always worth, you know, a conversation with your provider. Yeah, I figured that would be the answer that it's not something that you can just, that you're just supposed to deal with at that point of your life. With some of the hormones that we talked about and how they can be imbalanced and what that might feel like, what are some things that we can do at home for just general best practices for balanced hormones? Yeah, definitely. So I honestly see food as probably the number one. If I had to pick one thing that has the most impact on health or illness, um, I would say food. And, you know, of course, there are lots of different opinions on, on which kind of diet is best for you. And I think, again, like everything that's very individualized. In general, though, we're going to recommend um, a diet that is full of whole food, <clears throat> lots of vegetables, fruits, anti-inflammatory foods, good fats, good proteins, things like that, really trying to limit or avoid um, sugary foods, processed foods, chemical heavy foods. So that will make a big difference in inflammation. 
in keeping blood sugar stable. Um, so I guess food probably number one. Um, certainly activity, being active. Um, it doesn't have to be intense exercise. That is a whole different conversation, but doing something, you know, that keeps you active. Adequate sleep um, is huge. Your body is healing when you're sleeping at night. So, so getting good quality sleep is important. Few key nutrients, B12 is one that I always look at. Um, vitamin D also is one that I really want to have optimized. Um, stress reduction, you know, stress really has a negative impact when it's chronic on just about every system of the body, certainly on hormones. Um, so those are, those are all things that we, you know, kind of talk about with our clients and make sure that, that all of that's being addressed. Is there any truth to some of the plastics or I've heard so I've seen so many articles about like this type of Tupperware is bad for your hormones because the plastic and, and all of that, does that have a big effect? Do you know? There's research certainly on both sides. You'll find people on both sides that that feel very differently. What I would say overall is yes, definitely plastics have an impact. We are kind of bombarded with things that our body has to detoxify. And in some ways, our body is meant to do that, right? We can do that. But today we're just, there's so much of it. You know, if you pay attention to how much plastic you're being exposed to or how many chemicals, mm -hmm. um, they are kind of everywhere. And I don't know, it, it's really hard to avoid them completely or even mostly. I do have patients that are incredibly sensitive that really have changed their entire lives to avoid a lot of those. And it does make a difference. I think for most people, you know, just keeping the basics, you know, again, getting enough sleep, eating good quality food. For most people, that is enough. But there are people that are really sensitive that that have to go a step further and, and really avoid a lot of the things that we come in contact with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And start with some of those other bigger buckets that you can manage before maybe throwing out all the plastic in your house and considering those things. Yep. And doing, th you know, we, I definitely have my patients avoid um, heating up plastic. You know, I don't like microwaving and plastic. Certainly I changed all of those things to glass. So the little things you can do, but I also think you have to find balance. You know, you can go way down a rabbit hole of, of things to avoid. And, and it's not that it's not a, a great idea, but it's really hard when we're also dealing with life, you know, and all the things. So, so part of this, part of functional medicine is figuring out what's doable for you, you know, without getting so overwhelmed that you give up. Definitely like baby step it in to see what you can manage and then go from there because getting started is makes a big difference. If you can like bring awareness to one of those things, then I'm sure that you'll see an impact, especially like stress reduction. Just with you talking about that, I feel like that's one that we could all like very tangibly work on, especially in this year with how much stress there is in recognizing it. Like right. I've gotten to the point where I feel like I'm under so much stress <laughs> that I don't even acknowledge it anymore. It's just been the same level of stress for a long time that I think it sometimes it's worth evaluating again and just thinking about how you can reduce that and just doing those like mental check-ins to see how you're doing. Definitely. As a culture, we have a long way to go with stress. We really don't teach enough about how damaging it is. Um, it's okay to have stress. It's in some ways good for us. We need stress, but our bodies weren't meant to have ongoing chronic stress. We were more meant to have a stress and then recover. And so many people, especially women, but certainly men too, are just not recovering. It is more stress every day, more pressure. And the physiologic changes in our body related to stress 
you know, could definitely cause a difference in how we feel and how we think, you know, in our health. So especially as we age, it gets much harder. High rates of burnout. And I know people are talking about that a lot this year and, and how that contributes to burnout, I just think is so important. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay. So we touched on a few of them already, but are there any, um, any other myths or misunderstandings about hormones that you want to set the record straight on? Um, there are a lot. <laughs> I talk about this. Yeah. Often, I guess the biggest one for me is just what we did talk about, just the fact that it's not something to just muscle through. And and then also there's a lot of fear around hormones. Um, if you bring up hormones to your friends or even to your doctor, often you get this fear of hormones are dangerous. They are going to cause cancer. They're going to cause this or that, and, and they're not safe. And again, it's a complicated conversation to talk about the research, to talk about where the fear came came from. And that's a conversation I have certainly with the people I see. But the biggest thing to remember is that these hormones have been in your body since puberty, you know, and they are highest really during our our healthiest and most vibrant years. And so it, it just looking at common sense, it doesn't make a lot of sense to say, oh, these are dangerous, right? It's like they're safe and protective and keep us healthy. And then at menopause, they're suddenly dangerous. And that just isn't the case. And we know that Um, there are some risks to hormones to talk about. um, And every person, again, will be different. But there are also risks to not being on hormones. Um, And so it's just important for me. It's just important that women and men Mm -hmm. um, understand that they need to find someone they can talk to so that they can talk about their own specific case, their symptoms, their risk factors, their health, and really make a decision. Because I do see people that have just been afraid of hormones, you know, because a doctor was afraid or, you know, someone was afraid and scared them and they've really been suffering for 10 or 15 years. And that's just not that's not necessary. You know, there's definitely a better way. So just having that conversation and knowing there are options. What are some of the risks that you can run into with hormones? Certainly estrogen um, has some risk of blood clot formation. That's, you know, you'll hear people talk about blood clots or stroke. Um, That is something that estrogen carries with it. That is certainly true when girls are on birth control pills. You know, birth control pills are hormone hormone replacement therapy. Ultimately, it's true when women are pregnant and have really high levels of estrogen, their risk of blood clot is increased. With men, you know, with hormone replacement in menopause, you expect that risk to be fairly low. When you're using topical estrogen, which is generally what I use, you certainly have much less risk. Um, Topical estrogen doesn't affect clotting factors the way that oral estrogen can. So that I would say that probably is the most significant risk. You hear a lot of people talk about cancer risk. A lot of breast cancers can have um, estrogen or progesterone receptors on them. So if you do develop a breast cancer and you're taking hormones, they can increase the growth of those hormones. But it, you know, it, it's just a lot different than than people are kind of being told. For sure. I mean, there it's one thing to be aware of what the risks are, and then another to think that that's going to happen to everyone if they enter some type of regimen or therapy. Right. And you have to look at the risks of, you know, women having no hormones, you're going to see changes in bone in the brain in the cardiovascular system. So it really is, you know, looking at each person individually, um, and deciding kind of what's best for them. What are your thoughts on hormonal birth control? I'm just going to leave it open ended. (laughs) 
Sure. Um, so I think like anything else, there are risks and benefits. You know, there is no perfect option for, you know, contraception if that's what you're using it for. Um, and so, and like everything else, it's just individual. There are people that do really well on hormonal contraception and there are people that don't do well at all. So it, it's just kind of, you know, I try to meet my patients where they are. I have patients that that want birth control and, and that's, you know, what we're going to do. We'll talk about their options. And then I have people that, you know, want to avoid birth control. So is it always the same hormone that it's giving you? Birth control um, is limited. Most birth controls are going to be some form of estrogen and then some form of a synthetic progestin. You know, all birth control pills are going to be either both of those or, or sometimes just one. And then you have a couple other options like IUDs and, and implantable birth controls that are just the progestin. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm curious about, oftentimes that's what's presented as an option for non-contraceptive symptoms. What are your thoughts on that for taking birth control for something unrelated? Often in traditional medicine, that is the answer, you know, almost regardless of the issue, if there's pain or emotional changes, PMS symptoms, um, really bad periods, then you have to, you know, that is certainly one of the options. Um, and that is commonly the option that that is given. And I think like everything else, if someone does well on that, you know, I, I think there's no issue. There are some situations that birth control simply is the best option. You know, it is going to give the most relief. In other cases, you know, again, with functional medicine, we want to look for the cause. You know, for example, I've seen really young women that were being treated for depression and anxiety with a lot of different prescriptions. And again, sometimes that's necessary. But if you look a little bit deeper, you know, it's not uncommon to find something as simple as a B12 deficiency. And that doesn't sound like it would be a big deal, but that can cause really significant anxiety, neurological symptoms, fatigue. So I, you know, I want to look for the causes. So that's always where I start. I look at the diet. I, we look at gut health. I look at, again, B12, vitamin D, maybe magnesium. If it was one of those like B12, vitamin C or D, and magnesium. Is that as simple as just like taking a vitamin daily? So often it's just, you want to find the right one and the right dose and make sure it's high quality. But absolutely. I have had women just get their vitamin D optimal and feel better. I've had women, if we just get their food right for them, they feel better. So, and then other women, you know, we have to take lots of steps and, and change lots of things. Um, but yeah, sometimes something as simple as vitamin D can make a huge difference in how someone feels. Yeah. Vitamin D is another like hot topic in the wellness world. I think that's been coming up lately of everyone's vitamin D deficient. Yeah. Very common. Very common. We don't get nearly the sun that we once did. Um, and that's really our, our major source for vitamin D. Especially this year, staying inside. So and it's winter. I'm taking vitamin D now. So we'll see if that helps. But Okay, cool. So I just have three uh, quick questions that I ask all my guests at the end here. The first one is, what is something that you do that helps you feel like your best self? I think for me, um, it's it's being outside. You know, that is just- Getting the vitamin D. Yes, getting the vitamin <laughs> D, seeing the sun, um, being in the mountains. You know, that is definitely my stress reliever. That's where I feel like I get grounded, balanced, kind of come back into engagement with myself after a stressful week. Um, so that's a big one. I have, I have several, but that's the biggest for sure. Okay, you might be able to plug one in this next question. 
which is what do you do to find inspiration when you're feeling uninspired? I mean, I would say that is still the biggest, you know, that for me getting outside in nature, yeah. there's not anything more powerful that kind of gets me reconnected. Um, meditation, really important. You know, it's regardless of which activity I pick, for me, it's remembering that you can't stay in the stress. You know, um, I have a high stress job. I have like everyone else, lots of life stuff. And if you stay in it, it, it just you just are kind of trapped in it. You're, you're, you know, just running in circles, it feels like, and, and it's hard to be excited or creative. And so stepping out of that, you know, whether it's meditation or reading a book or getting a massage or hiking in the mountains, you know, that's where you're going to reconnect. Okay. And the last question is what's one piece of advice you have that if we all followed, we'd all be better off. Oh, that's a hard one. I really think it's probably, if I had to pick one, it's the stress piece. It really is. We just, we really value um, high productivity and high stress in this culture. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and on people. And it just isn't, it's just not how we were meant to live. And um, eventually it ends in illness and chronic symptoms, you know, really slowing down and, and learning to manage your stress, I think would go very far in health for everyone. If you're looking to connect with Deanna and her work at Vibrant Health, you can find her on Instagram at Deanna Woodruff, W-H-N-P, and I'll have that in the show notes. And you can also follow Vibrant Health's Instagram account, which is Vibrant Health of Colorado. And I'll also have that linked in the show notes. And yeah, if you're in the Colorado area, I would definitely recommend checking out Vibrant Health of Colorado Clinic. It's in Lone Tree. And if you're not, you know, I encourage you to find a functional medicine clinic near you that can kind of help you sort this stuff out. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would really help me out. And I'll see you in the next episode. 